0: My first Sunday at Cornerstone, I could feel the presence of God. I had truly worshiped. Now I play the drums on the worship team. I feel honored to worship with them and serve God with my talent. I love Cornerstone, because our worship is authentic and passionate. guys, it's that sort of worship, that authentic, passionate worship that the enemy just wants to frustrate and get in the midst of. I mean, because at the very heart of of worship is is just one of the most powerful ways for us to connect with God, with his strength and with with his power. I mean, there's this weird thing about what you hold in your lap or in your hands It isn't somehow like the the fullness of of Jesus. The Old and New Testament, your Bible, God's Word, it's it's eternal, it's holy, it's powerful. There's something tremendous about that, that we can connect with Jesus through his Word. And, And as we do that, that allows us to to bring salvation to our lives and for us to bear fruit, to overcome temptation, to experience joy and gentleness and peace and patience and kindness and self-control. All of those things that I think, if we're honest, most of us just really long for and desire, they've got the, the ability to be realized through Jesus, through his words, through the words that he spoke and through the words that are embodied here in the Bible. The words that, that gave life to the, the songs that we, we just sang. And as those words go out, I think God's just desiring that they find a tremendous soil to land in. Good, healthy soil so that then out of that Jesus can do his work that he can grow in you what he wants to grow and produce in you what he wants to produce. And that's why this worship time is so powerful. That both in song and in teaching, we've got the opportunity to connect with the power of God so that he can produce the fruit that he wants to in our life. Which is all the more reason why the enemy, I think, just wants to frustrate it. Because if we can't get a handle on it in here... It makes it hard for us to go live a life of worship outside of here. We can't connect with his word outside of here. Then, man, he loves that. If his, if his words are not finding good soil in our life outside here, he loves that too. We're just caught in that kind of tension, this swing, Right? That good news of like in, the, in James where it says that if you submit yourselves to God and then resist the devil, he'll flee from you. That, that's good news. But then on the other side, you look at passages where like Jesus was being tempted by Satan, his time in the desert. And in Luke chapter 4, especially at the end of that, the last line in, in Jesus' temptation is he's resisting the devil over and over again. The last line says, and then Satan left him until an opportune time. And so there's this good news, if we resist, he'll flee, but only until an opportune time. So what's an opportune moment for the enemy to come after you? What's an opportune moment for Satan to be able to steal Jesus from you, his power from you, his love from you, his truth from you? Worship. If he can, if the enemy can steal Jesus' words and your connection with him during this time of worship, he's pretty happy about that. If he can steal your connection with him outside of here, In other words, your life of worship outside these walls, he's happy with that too. He'll do whatever it takes to distract you, to frustrate you in your act of worship, in your act of connecting with the God of the universe. Because the enemy knows that's where salvation is, that's where overcoming temptation is found, that's where producing any sort of fruit in your life and my life is found. He'll do whatever it takes to mess it up. He'll use people, he'll use circumstances, he'll use thought life, he'll use whatever. My mom was just going to a new church a couple of weeks ago, and she sat down next to some guy in the service, and during the greeting time, they met. If you don't know my mom, my mom is a widow. And if you really want to, if you want to see me angry, which is a super, super rare occasion, but if you want to see like me totally, totally ticked off, you mess with my mom. You mess with my mom and the heavens are going to open and fire is going to shoot down if I have anything to say about it. And so my mom is recounting this story with me about the story I'm about to recount to you. And um, oh, this was not good. She's sitting next to this guy during the service. And after the service was over, he looks at her and says, that was a good message, right? That was good, huh? Yeah. And my mom went, yeah, that that was good. They chatted for just a minute. And then he said, well, I'm a part of a small group here. I'd love to have you dive in on the small group and hang out. And, and if I just get your email, that'll be good. She, oh, okay, sure. Sends the email. A couple days later, she gets this really long, pretty awkward email from this guy. And she starts reading the email to me over the phone. And uh, it was super, super long, and it's asking her to come to this Bible study on Wednesday and go to another church on Saturday. And then, oh, um, can I sit next to you again at church this following Sunday? And now my mom was like, Ronnie, I, now, now I'm just like, I don't, I don't, I don't even want to go back. If Satan was even using this weird roundabout way to kind of separate her from connecting with God in this powerful way of corporate worship in this really kind of odd circumstance. And I said, Mom, you, you just—you gotta write an email back. Just say it. you're not available. I said, read me the rest of the email. And she continued to read on and it got more weird. It's like, oh, here's some pictures of me and you need to send me pictures of you. And I was like, oh, Mom, mm-mm. That's not good. You can send him a picture of my fist and we'll, <laughs> we'll have a little talk. But this is not happening. I'm, I was not, this isn't good. I said, Mom, forward me that email. Send it over to me. And she said, okay. And um, <laughs> I just wanted to read it. I don't know what you're <laughs> thinking. I said, send him an email that just says, I'm not available. Thank you. I'm, I'm not available. And uh, that should be plain and simple. You don't have to give him more of your story than necessary, but that's very, very clear. Well, a couple of days went by. She hadn't had a chance to, to write back. He wrote another email, y'all. Another one. And this one said, I haven't heard back from you yet about Wednesday or Saturday or a Sunday morning if I can sit next to you. And you need to text me today or tweet me today or email me back today or Facebook me today to let me know if I can sit next to you this coming Sunday at church. I'm like, hmm, that's not good. I took those emails and I forwarded them to the staff of that church. I know, I know the staff there. And I said, this is both like as a friend favor and um, a, as a pastoral favor. Um, I don't know if you got a team of thugs or whatever, but can go make a visit. Um, I said, I'm, I'm rallying 20 of my buddies and we're going to go scare a little Jesus into this dude. And uh, if you want to come with me, we'll go on the way home. Um, but I, I was really upset. And uh, so I, I th- they said, oh yeah, we got it. We'll, we'll take care of it. And I was like, man, that's so good. Because it can just take something as, as small as that, like, or as odd as that, to disconnect you or distract you from this powerful moment of collecting corporately. He wrote a third email, y'all. Third. She wrote him the thanks but no thanks email. I read it. It was very kind, but very, very clear. And he wrote back... Hey, calm down, girl. (laughs) He said, you seem like a really angry, negative person. You're too angry and negative for me. You should really consider getting rid of anger and doubt and worry and fear out of your life and instead praise the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I went, oh. We're going to go have a little laying on of hands ceremony, if you know what I'm (laughs) talking about. Oh, man, that upset me. And now at my, my, my job and my church and my work, I was distracted and disconnected and frustrated. We were sitting in a meeting where I'm trying to prepare for my own message and the enemy's getting in that direction. Well, they took care of it. And if they need a follow-up, then some of you can come with me and we'll go, go be the righteous hand of God. Um, but you guys, the enemy will just do whatever he takes to frustrate our worship, to mess up our worship, to keep us the center of it, to keep us elevated up and God at a low point, to minimize who Jesus is. And if he can do that corporately, awesome. If he can do that after we get out of here, he's fine with that too. And this morning, we're just gonna come out of a passage in Mark chapter four, if you have your your Bible Mark chapter four. Because I'm convinced that like that guy that my mom had this unfortunate thing with, some people just want to make you feel like dirt. And other people want to help cultivate the soil of your life. I think the enemy is all about just making you feel like dirt. And I think Jesus himself, his heart's desire for you is to cultivate the soil of your life. And that really, that what the heartbeat of what it means to walk with Jesus, to be a follower of his, is to allow him to connect with you to produce what he wants to produce in you. And that happens so powerfully in our time of worship, to elevate him and humble us. And it happens when you do that, when you connect with him in, in his word, throughout the week on your own, or with friends, or family. It's just the worship act of reversing that default trend, and just going, Jesus, we're going to make much of you, and less of us. You must increase, we must decrease. That's the plan. That's the heart, really, of worship, and it keeps things in their proper proper perspective. Well, Mark chapter 4, Jesus, at this point, he's come on scene, He started to teach with some real authority. He started to perform some miracles. He started to gain a a following. And people are like pretty impressed. They're pretty amazed. Some people are confused. But in this particular case now, as such a huge gathering is is gathered here to to try to figure out what Jesus is about and these stories he's telling. It's amazing. Jesus steps into a little boat, shoves away from the, the, the shore a little bit, to address this huge crowd of people up on the hillside. And he starts telling stories. He starts telling parables. And he tells these interesting parables and the interesting stories to illustrate some principles about the kingdom of God and what it means to walk with him. And and they're kind of interesting because they're not not always right on the nose. You kind of have to listen hard. You have to think hard. And I think at the very heart of these parables, is that idea that what God has for you is very, very important, but you gotta pay attention. You need to focus. You need to listen hard. You need to bring faith to the equation. Because if you're just kind of unfocused or if you're just distracted by the enemy, then you may miss a great deal of what he has for you in this room on Sundays or on your own outside of here. He may have something tremendous for you, but it takes that focus and that listening. What are you really saying? That if we don't slow down, if we don't zero in, we we, we can miss entirely and so disconnect from him in worship. And it leaves us in the driver's seat and Jesus off to the side somewhere. And so Mark chapter 4, he says, I need to tell you a story at the heartbeat of what it means to walk with me and what the kingdom of God is all about. Here's just the story. He just said, it's like a farmer who's got some seed that he needs to plant. And he goes out and he starts scattering the seed because they had to do it by hand back then. And as some of the seed goes out, it lands along the road. It just lands on the path and birds swoop down instantly. The seed doesn't even get a chance to take, take root anywhere. And, and the birds snatch the seed away because it just landed on the road. Other seed, it lands on the rocky soil and it's very, very shallow. And it starts to take a little bit of root and it springs to life this plant But then the sun comes out, and because there's no real root there, it it just dries up, it scorches out the plant. Other seed, it falls onto this thorn soil. It's got bushes and thorns, and it falls in there, and again, it starts to spring to life, but as soon as the plant starts to grow, the thorns and the weeds choke it out and make it dead, unfruitful. And then he said, some soil, though, is so good and so rich, the seed lands on it, It finds some good depth, and when it does start to grow, nothing chokes it out. And the disciples are like, what? That's kind of a weird story. And it wasn't that they were stupid. A lot of times we think the disciples were dumb. They were idiots. Because this, like, I don't get it thing happens a lot with them, if you've noticed. But the reality is most scholars would agree that the disciples, with the exception of Peter, were just teenage guys. They're high schoolers. So they're not stupid. They're just young. And Jesus really then was kind of like the first youth pastor. (laughs) And they're like, well, I don't don't totally get it. And Jesus goes, okay, let me explain. And in Mark chapter 4, verse 13, he goes about explaining it. And Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? Verse 14, the farmer sows the word. The farmer scatters the word. And so the seed that he had been referring to in the story was the word of God. It's this holy, eternal, powerful word of God written on these pages. It's the spoken words of Jesus. It's old and New Testament. The word of God being scattered out amongst people. Verse 15, some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. And so some people, it's like the the seed that lands on the road and the birds come down and snag it. That's like people that the word goes out and it doesn't ever even get a chance to take root. Jesus says, one of the ways that Satan steals my words from you is immediately. Immediately. The enemy has the ability to immediately snatch away the word of God from your heart. I think it happens a lot through distractions, especially when when you come in together corporately like this. I mean, how many different distractions did you have to wade through and walk through before you sat down? How long was it before your brain really, truly engaged, your heart really, truly engaged before you stopped thinking about this or that, before you stopped listening to somebody crunching ice behind you? You're like, what is this, a Harkins Theater? What's going on? This is, you know? There's so many distractions. You're still thinking about the guy that cut you off out in the parking lot or whatever and you're angry about that. Why are the cones out here today and we have to park over here and what's going on? There's so many things that, that the enemy can use before you even get in here that keep you so distracted. And so as the word of God goes out from the scriptures and the songs written from the scriptures, as those start to go out over you, they don't even land because you're so distracted. It's somebody sitting next to you it's the phone going off in the pocket. There's so many things that the enemy can use just to take your attention away, even for the briefest of moments. Last service, somebody came up to share something with me afterward that had really hit home, and it was one sentence in my talk that, that wasn't even what the whole message is about. And, and, and I, if they hadn't been paying attention or whatever, distracted even for just that that one sentence that they, they would have maybe missed what God was having for them in that moment. These distractions can come from a hard-heartedness where you just come in with kind of an ill will about, I don't know, just stuff that's going on. Frustrated with somebody up front or whatever, somebody in the pew or the row sitting next to you and a seat sitting next to you. You can come in just kind of full of irritation and anger already, and God's trying to say something, but man, it's just bouncing off the, the hard-heartedness, and the enemy loves that, because immediately before the words of God can even take any root, Satan's already got it, and that happens a lot here in this time of worship corporately, but it can happen in your life of worship outside of here too. It's really hard if you've to wake up in the morning and get any time with the word, in the, with the Lord, right? That's difficult. I got a four year old and a three year old at home. It's really hard. It's hard to get just uninterrupted time. It's hard not to be thinking about all the stuff that's going on in your life. And if he can cast word out and the enemy can snag it before it even gets to you, man, he's okay with that. Sometimes, though, it does find some soil and it lands in it. Satan doesn't give up there. Verse 16, others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word, and at once they receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So sometimes it's in here, corporate worship-wise, the words of God wash over you, you receive it right away, and you walk out the doors. And rough times or persecution as a result of your faith in Jesus brings hard times on you. And then you're stuck in this situation where you're wrestling with something. And here's what you start to wrestle with. If you're in a position where you're like, man, I receive Jesus, that connection with you, and I receive what you said to me, and I want to apply it to my life, but now that I've started to apply it, it's made life worse. It's made life more difficult. So maybe me allowing you, God, to produce fruit in my life, maybe it's not worth the hassle. If it's going to bring about persecution in my life, if it's going to bring about somebody being upset with me or making fun of me or giving me a hard time, maybe I don't even want to mess with it. And Satan's like, I'm fine with that. As soon as you're like, it's not worth the hassle, because there's no root, there's no strength to it, the enemy can just pull whatever Jesus had planted there right out. And I don't know if that one happens an awful lot in our country. It does as a student, if you're in school or whatever, sometimes it happens in your workplace. But I think in the United States of America we don't experience persecution as a result of following Jesus nearly the level that people do in other places of the world. But this following sort of soil is a way that Satan also uses to steal our connection with Jesus, to steal his word from our lives. Is more reflected I think for us in this next little chunk here in verse 18. Jesus said, still others, like seeds sown among thorns, they hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. And so here's kind of the same sort of situation. The word of God lands in your heart in some way, shape, or form in our time of worship here. And then you leave this place. But you get back to real life. And you get to worrying. You get to the concerns that come with how much money you're making and what's going on at work and what the mortgage payment is and the car that you want and the stuff and the material, this and that. And all of it just gets overwhelming, right? I know it does for me. It's really difficult And I get preoccupied with all of that stuff, and Jesus really did plant something in my heart and in my life. I believe that in this time of worshiping together and hearing his words. Even when it's just on my own, there's been times where I've read the Bible at 7 a.m., but by noon, I am so overwhelmed with the the day-to-day stuff Jesus' position and his power, much less his continued words for me, have kind of faded out into the distance. And the enemy's like, I'm cool with that too. That's all part of the plan. All part of the plan is to remove you from being fruitful. It's to remove you from any sort of power with this God that you're supposed to be worshiping and connecting deeply with. Ultimately, he would just love to remove everybody from salvation And that comes through Jesus. That comes through his word. So the enemy is all about trying to mess up that connection, mess up that worship. And if he can get us preoccupied with all of our stuff and the worries that surround that, he wins. Verse 20, here's the good soil. Jesus goes, this is what my heartbeat is. This is what I'm hoping your life will reflect. Others, like seed sown on good soil, They hear the word, they accept it, and they produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. And that's the cool thing. Like if we can just focus in on allowing the soil of our heart and our life to be healthy, it allows God to do the rest. Our job is just to focus on what sort of soil we're receiving, the the, the seed can land in. What's, what's the soil of your life like this morning? I mean, is it rock hard? Is it just kind of rocky and shallow? Is it filled with all sorts of thorns? Or are you trying to the best of your ability to allow God to cultivate some good, healthy soil in your life so that when corporately or alone you are worshiping him and his word is washing over you, it's just landing deep in this rich, healthy dirt. And that as you stay connected to the vine, Jesus, he starts to produce all of the fruit in you, that joy, that peace, that patience, that gentleness, the kindness, the self-control, all of that stuff that we need. And I think that our hearts are really longing for. Because if you get caught up in the stuff, you start going, man, I might have to give up something better if I follow Jesus. And he's going, there's nothing better. That's why you keep reliving this same cycle over and over again. You gotta bring yourself down several notches and you gotta keep lifting me up. That's the act of worship. That's the inverse of what the enemy wants to do. And he really wants the soil of your life, Jesus does, to be so rich and so deep to receive whatever, here or outside of here. It just enhances that life of worship and then you're producing fruit. Hardly when you're even thinking about it. Your radar is so tuned in, so it's just like if I were to have a $100 bill, what if I had a thousand $100 bills right here, just in a big old wad, and I started like throwing them out over the room? What do you think would happen? I mean, this place would go crazy. You'd be like monkeys jumping all over the place after that stuff. It would be entertaining for a little bit, but then the elbows would start flying, and there would, you know, especially some of you that are... You need it? Man, that would be crazy. You guys, we should be receiving God's word the same way, if not more so. The words of God and worship in the scriptures are washing out, and we should be like, man, we should be jumping out to snag and hold on to the words of God faster than Satan tries to snag them away from us. But oftentimes the word of God goes out, it gets cast out, and we're like, "Eh, I've heard that before. It's probably counterfeit you don't even know if it's real. Man, we should be snagging on to that. And then go check if it's counterfeit. You, you snag onto it first and then go, man, is this really what, what God's word says? Go check it out. That's cool, but snag onto it. Hold on to it tight first. Let it take some root. Let God do what he wants to do with it first. If you're writing anything down, write this down. If you're looking for ways to Just shift some of that that equation of elevating Jesus up, humbling yourself to enhance that worship experience here and outside of here. Here's a couple things that will help you cultivate that sort of soil in your life. That sort of connection with Jesus. First one, prepare your hearts. Prepare your hearts before you come in here. It might just be as you're walking in, you start to go, okay, God, whatever you need to do in my heart, you know the stuff that's going on in my heart right now, and I'm gonna set it aside for just a little bit. Whatever you need to do or say to me, I I wanna receive it. It might mean shifting the type of music that you listen to on the way in here. Maybe it means turning the volume up so you can drown out your screaming kids on the the drive over. (laughs) Whatever you do, start to prepare your hearts. I know how hard that can be, especially with all the stuff that you got going on, especially if you got little kids. That's difficult. But you can do it walking from that door to your seat. Prepare your hearts. Second, focus hard during this time of worship. In other words, don't coast during worship. There might be one moment that Spirit wants to connect you powerfully with the words of God. And so focus very hard. It's only an hour, y'all. This is only an hour. A lot of you are going to go spend a lot longer than that watching a football game today. And if you missed one play, you'd be totally upset. There's a whole bunch of plays going on for an hour right here, and I'm hoping you don't miss them. Focus hard, don't coast and then come in with that open mind. The open mind that just says, if you've got something for me, I want to check it out. Know that the enemy is real. He's got some power, but you don't need to be afraid of him because greater is he, Jesus, that's in us than he that's in the world. And that's what we're here to worship in here, and that's who's got the power to produce the fruit in your life outside of here. So let's, Be the type of people that are open to allowing him to develop whatever soil needs to happen in us. And I think it starts here. Don't come late and leave early in this time of worship because it's a powerful time for you to connect with this powerful Jesus. Connect. Let's pray. And so, Father, this morning, we just thank you so much that you want to connect with us, that you want to engage with us. We thank you that you've got words for us in music and in your word. Speak to our hearts, speak to our minds. I pray that you would continue to cultivate soil in us that is just rich and deep if there's work we need to do in pulling the weeds out or the thorns out or just allowing a more depth of soil to take place, then work that out in us. Limit the distractions that we've got even in brief moments throughout our day. We might live a life of worship outside of here. And as we wrap up our time this morning, Help us not coast for a moment. Help us hear what you have to say to us. And stir us up to give you everything that we've got as we close this morning. Amen.